0: So uh, a question for you to think about for a moment this morning, how, uh, how did you get your name? Do you know the story? Did your parents ever ever tell you the story of where your name came from? Uh, for me, my mom and dad wanted a name that wasn't overly popular and, and uh, a name that couldn't be shortened. My dad insisted. His name was Albert, and everybody called him Al, and it was just confusing. He was like, I don't want a name that uh, can be uh, shortened, and so they named me Brian, which turned out to be, like, one of the five most popular names that year. And, uh, uh, and then I became Bri anyway. Do you know your story? Names, names carry meaning, right? So sometimes we have a family name, and that family name connects us through history. Sometimes there's a, a story your mom and dad might have a name. And even if our parents just picked a name because it felt right, right? even if our parents just, the moment... You were born and, and just said, this name feels right for my child. That name takes on meaning as we grow into our identity, right? I'm Brian. I, I might want to pretend to be Bob some days, but, but the fact is, right, that I'm Brian, and, and my friends and, and people who know me, they identify certain traits and, and ways with the name Brian Durand. It, it begins to define who, my name begins to define who I am. So, a question for us to think about today, what about God's name? Do you, you ever think about the names of God, like who you pray to and what name you're using and what the, what the names of God might, might mean? Or more important, do you ever think about the names of God and what they tell us about God? Would you pray with me? God of grace and wisdom, in these moments today as we explore your word, just open our eyes widen our vision to see what you see and open and expand our minds to better understand your way and your teaching and lord widen expand our our hearts to grasp and share the fullness of your love and grace this day in jesus name we pray amen so uh let me ask a question you put your hand in the air Uh, how many of you would like to visit egypt just put your hand up. Um, for all those of you who would love to visit Egypt, I have good news and bad news. Uh, let's start with the bad news. The bad news is that, uh, uh, despite a desire, uh, the Lilly Grant that paid for renewal leave would not pay for me to take all of you with me to Egypt. I I don't know why they wouldn't expand it from fifty thousand dollars to five or six million so we could all go. But but that wasn't in the cards. The good news is that in worship this month, we are going to take a virtual tour through Egypt. So you get to take a virtual trip. And more good news, you do not have to sit in the traffic that is Cairo, which some of you are like, well, I don't mind traffic. I've been in New York, or I've been in Chicago, and I've been in, uh, no, 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 it, you haven't seen traffic until you get to Cairo. And the other good news is that you won't have to pour sand out of your shoes and your clothing and wash it out of every pore of your being at the end of every uh, every day in our trip to to Egypt. So so welcome to to Egypt. We are going to walk through this land where the Israelites, right, grew into a large and prosperous people, this land where, where Moses grew up, this uh, this land where mary and joseph took jesus to be refugees in exile this land from which the israelites escaped the story that we find in the book of exodus where we're going to turn today and as we as we start our tour through egypt we're going to walk walk through these lands and these structures and these temples and and uh, Ruins of temples and temples that are still standing and tombs that uh, still contain vivid detail. And as we walk as we walk through, right, I just invite you to, to realize we're walking through this, this land, these, these temples that are 1,000 and 2,000 BC. And think about that, 4,000 years ago. This is the temple of Luxor. It's uh, of Ramesses II, um, who some scholars believe was the pharaoh during the, uh, uh, during the exodus. We're going to get back to that in our tour. Our next stop, we're going to uh, take a stop at Karnak Temple. Karnak Temple, it's kind of misnamed. It actually should be temples. It's a complex of temples, this impressive collection that was built by the pharaohs over time. There. There are temples there to almost all of the major Egyptian gods. You can see as, as you look down, it just goes on and on and on. About halfway down, I, I turned to Cheryl and I said, this is like the Disney world of, of, uh, of Egyptian gods, right? There's, there's things here for everybody. Just one magical, amazing sight after Another. As I took this picture of Cheryl, this next one, she's in in front of one of 134 giant columns, all decorated bottom to top with hieroglyphs, and it's just astounding to see the architecture and the massive size of these things. It's just, it's really, the Karnak Temple is a testament built to show the power and the might of the pharaohs, and by extension, their gods, but there's another story that finds roots here. If, if we look closely, kind of beyond the majesty of it all, we find sort of within the land and culture these clues that can help us more deeply understand the Bible. What you're looking at here is, is the outer wall of the Karnak Temple, looking kind of back out towards the entrance to the whole temple complex. And you'll see there a, a bunch of mud bricks. It kind of looks like a pile of dirt, but it's, a, it's all mud bricks. And the Egyptians, in order to build these incredible structures, what they would do is they would make these mud bricks and they'd build a ramp. And up the ramp, they would pull the massive stones that built the temple itself. And then when they were finished, when the wall was finished, they would knock down the the mud brick ramp and they'd take the bricks and, and use them elsewhere. Do you know in the Bible who makes mud bricks? The Hebrew people in slavery. We're told, make these mud bricks. Now, we don't know if, if these particular mud bricks were, were made by the Hebrews. They're not stamped like bricks today. But we begin to get a, a glimpse of, of how the Hebrews lived in relation to this power in this, in this empire of Egypt. Or we continue our tour to the, to the tombs of the, of the pharaohs. And here we, we get the stories of the pharaohs who first welcomed and then would later enslave the people of God. Right? In vivid detail, we get their stories and, and we learn the religious culture of the time and, the, and we find clues to, to how what's about to unfold with the people of God is, is rooted in these, these stories of the pharaohs and in, the, in their mythology. In these tombs we see pictures. This particular one is Ra. Ra was the king of the gods. You can usually tell the gods, they'll often have a disc above their, above their heads. The god of the sun in Ra's case. Was, the mythology said that Ra carried the sun through the, through the sky by day and then carried it through the underworld on a barge by night. And speaking of underworld, the next picture is one of Osiris. Osiris is probably one of the most famous Egyptian gods, was god of the Of the underworld. Next picture is Hathor. Hathor was a goddess of love and music and dancing and fertility. Most of the gods of Egypt had a human form, often with an an animal face of some kind or something to denote the animal, and then they had an animal form. In this case, Hathor was believed to be in the image of, of the cow. And this next one is Anubis. Anubis was the god of embalming and protector of of graves sort of see how they got the image right it's a it's a dog protecting protecting its home protecting tombs and protecting the territory and these are just a few of the egyptian gods but but a good example of how each god in the egyptian pantheon had a role and a and a function they had a name and that name identified who they were and what their purpose was in, in the pantheon. The people and the pharaohs, they would choose a god that they were going to denote their allegiance to. And you may be thinking now, like, this tour of Egypt is fun, but, like, we are in church. Like, what does this have to do with the Bible? Well, in Exodus chapter 3, we find this story, right, that takes place in the, in the backdrop of this land and these people. The story of, of Moses. Right? And in chapter 3, it's the story of the burning bush, and many of you n- may know this story by heart, but just to, to kind of summarize, right, Moses has escaped from Egypt, he's killed an Egyptian guard, and so he flees from, from Egypt, and he settles out in the wilderness, he gets married, he begins to settle down, he becomes a, a shepherd, he's, he's tending sheep, and he's out tending the sheep, and he sees this bush, and it's burning, but it isn't consumed by the fire, and curious, he goes a little bit closer, and a voice comes to him out of the, the bush and says, I am the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. Take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. And so Moses comes closer, he takes off his shoes, and then the voice tells him to go back to Egypt to deliver God's people, to deliver the Hebrews from their suffering. And Moses like most of us, when we are presented with a task that seems way bigger than we can imagine and way more dangerous than something we think we might want to get into, Moses begins to ask questions. He's like, why me? Like, how, how do I get out of this? And so he begins asking questions. And one of his early ones is really interesting. Moses asks God, he says, look, the people who, who you're sending me to, what do I say is your name, Lord. This is one of those details, often we jump to what the name of God is, but we, shouldn't, we should pause here a moment and realize, like, God already told Moses his name. He said, I, I'm, I'm God, I'm the God of your ancestors, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and now all of a sudden, Moses is like, wait, okay, so I'm going to these people, I, I could kind of use a name to give them. Who are you exactly? And God, instead of saying, I already told you I'm the God of your ancestors, God's pretty matter-of-fact with Moses. He's not, not above that kind of answer, right? No, instead, God says this in Exodus three fourteen to 15. He answers him. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you this is my name forever the name you shall call me from generation to generation to us this question moses asked seems kind of odd right but in a culture where a name distinguishes one god from another we can begin to understand why moses wants more information okay so you're you're our god like everybody has chosen a god to be faithful to you're our god but but which god are you there's a sun God and the moon God. Tell us, I, I need to know which God you are so I can go and tell the people. And then, and then God answers. And if you're Moses, you got to be thinking, wait, wait, what? I am who I am, or, or some translate this, I will be who I will be. Rabbi David Foreman has this tremendous book. It's called The Exodus You Almost Passed Over, and I'm going to draw on it heavily um, in, uh, in the sermon series. In, and in it, he invites us to imagine, us the reader, to imagine, like, Moses returning to his family after this experience. So, right, he goes back to his his family, his friends, he's like, hey, guess what happened to me today? I saw God in the desert. And they say, really, what was God's name? And Moses says, oh, uh, I am who I am. Wait, or is it I will be who I will be? Maybe it's it was just I will be. No, no, you know what? Forget all about that. It, it, God of our fathers. It, it's the God of our fathers. That, that name. I will be who I will be. What, what does it really tell Moses? If a name helps identify someone, what is this? What is this name? What does this name tell us? Well, for. for for those of us who are reading along with Moses and are like, I don't get what that means, we're in luck because God's going to return to this subject. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, right, asks for the people to be let go. Pharaoh says, no, and makes things worse for the people. And the people are upset, and Moses is upset, and Moses goes back to God and says, like, why is this happening this way? And God says, I am going to deliver the people. And And then we're ready in the story to see what happens next. And there's this sort of odd interlude. The first thing that God does is says, okay, and now Moses, we need to have a conversation about my name again. Like, I just, I want to make sure you understand my name as all of this is about to happen. And this is what it says, Exodus 6, 2 to 5. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. So God shares another name here, Lord in all caps. When you see Lord in all caps in your Bible, it's actually holding the place of what are four Hebrew consonants that we refer to as Yahweh. Now, the Hebrew consonants don't actually have, the Hebrew doesn't actually have vowels in it, so we've put the vowels in there. But when you see Lord in all caps in your Bibles, you can think Yahweh. And it's this this name beyond being spoken. And Rabbi Foreman, I'm I'm no expert in Hebrew, but Rabbi Foreman, who who is, has studied the language, says that the consonants of Yahweh um, in different combinations can be used to to spell the words in Hebrew with English translations of was and is and will be. All three forms of be, was and is and will be. And Rabbi Foreman says what we often do is we line those words up, right? Was and is and will be. And we think of Yahweh as saying, like, God eternal, the God that was and is and will always be. But then, Rabbi Foreman says, something else is pretty amazing about these consonants is these words. If you take the Hebrew words for was and is and will be, and you line them up over the top of each other, and you essentially press them down together, the consonants line up that way to become Yahweh. And Rabbi Foreman says, this isn't a coincidence. It's actually... It's actually showing that God is was, God was, is, and will be all at the same time. And if that blows your mind, that might be the point of it. But the idea is God is God is beyond time, or God is underneath all of time. You can think of it either way. God is bigger than than time. And this name is. Is new for god in the sense that god is saying i haven't fully revealed it to those before you moses but i'm going to reveal it now the other names for god in the bible often it'll it'll say l which is often translated as god in our bibles El has a literal meaning of power it's like a power in the world and so god is is a power which is certainly true in other places even in the verses today it'll say el shaddai El Shaddai is, is great power, essentially. it often translated in our, our Bibles as God Almighty. Right? But in this case, God isn't just El, isn't just going to reveal himself as El, a power among the other powers in the world. He isn't going to reveal himself even as a great power. God is revealing God's self as undefinable, beyond time, the creator of all that is. And thus, Beyond definition of anything that is. Essentially, God isn't just a power among other powers. We treat God that way sometimes, right? I mean, there's this that has power in my life and this that has power in my life and then God. and, And I turn to God when I need that power. God is revealing himself to Moses as saying, look, all those other powers are, are part of my power. It's all, it's all my power. It's all, all created by me. Rabbi Foreman suggests an analogy if, you're, if our minds are going, okay, help me grasp this concept. Uh, how many of you have played Monopoly? Raise your hand if you've played Monopoly. All right, raise your hand if you've seen a Monopoly board. All right, good, good. Just making sure all of you you know no monopoly so in the game of monopoly there are the little little uh, uh, toy pieces right that you choose to play with um you know there's the hat and the shoe and uh, the thimble my favorite was always the car my brother and i'd fight over getting the car on the board right There are all these all these little so imagine imagine a monopoly game right and and you've got the sh- the shoe and the hat are on the board and and the hat turns to the shoe and says hey shoe do you believe in parker And the shoe goes, what What do you mean? And the hat says, well, you know, on the the board, it says, made by Parker Brothers. Do you believe in Parker? And the shoe says, well, I guess so. I mean, I, I suppose I believe in Parker. And the hat says, not me. Not me. I have been around this board zillions of times. I've even been to jail. But... But I've never seen a Parker. A Parker's never appeared to me. So I am a Parker atheist. I don't think Parker exists. Right? And the shoe at this point doesn't have a, a grander perspective, but we who know the game, we, we do, right? If we could say something to the hat in this moment, might we just say, oh, my dear friend hat. The, the thing is, you're looking for Parker in the wrong places. Parker isn't isn't living on the board? Parker made the board. Now imagine you're Moses, right? And what you know lives in the world as you know it. You know the the Egyptian pantheon of gods. As you grew up, you learned there was a sun god and a and a moon god and a, and a fertility god and all kinds of other all kinds of other gods. And the gods that you learned about, they didn't care much about humanity. Um, they didn't. They didn't step in or, or interfere with humanity. In the, the, the pantheon of Egyptian gods, you as a human being, you don't matter much. The sun god Ra doesn't need you. The, the, the god of, the, uh, of rain, Tefnet doesn't, doesn't need you. The gods don't reach out to you. The gods don't pay any attention to you if you're suffering because of what they're doing. Right? But these gods, if you wanted their help, you did need to try and bribe them or, or by, their, by them, and so you'd offer sacrifices to these gods because you needed sun, you needed rain, and so you would need to make sacrifices. And some of those sacrifices were even sacrificing children so that hopefully this God would, would pay attention to you. Right, And now, if you're Moses, you realize this conversation about names with God is helping you understand that the system that you've always known, the system where you're just a, a pawn in a, in a game, is not is not how the world actually is. Right? God isn't just another God. God has just introduced God's self to you as the, the creator of of all that is. God isn't the sun, but God made the sun. God is now you're realizing God isn't the moon, but God made the moon. You're beginning to realize that God is beyond any human definition or, or human terms. Suddenly, your mind is blown as ours may be, considering that we can't even fully comprehend God. And yet, while you may never be able to fully comprehend God, God has a little bit more to say to Moses. That isn't isn't all I want you to know through my names. Do you remember when God first gave Moses the, the name, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be? Do you remember what God said immediately after that? The very next thing that God says is this. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Right? God says, the Lord, this time Yahweh, which he's going to talk more about in a little bit. He says, the Lord, Yahweh, me, right? I am the God of, of your fathers, of Of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In other words, you can't fully comprehend me, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm your God, and I've been in relationship with your family, and I'm going to continue to be in relationship with you. And then when God brings up his name again, he reminds Moses of the covenant that has been made between God and God's people, and he says, I've heard the cries of people suffering, yet my name is Yahweh, and I haven't fully revealed that name yet, But even as I am beyond, I also have heard the cries of my people. I've been with you. I've understood what's going on. It's as though God says, I'm about to reveal myself, not just to you, but to the world as the one God. Through Egypt, through what's about to happen, I'm going to reveal to you how big I am. But don't forget, I want a relationship with you with each one of you. This may be the greatest truth we find in the names of God, right? God exists out time of time and space as we understand them. Yet, yet, God desires relationship with us. The pantheon of Egyptian gods they presented this worldview we don't call them the pantheon of Egyptian gods anymore but I wonder if the worldview still seeps into our world really really easily this worldview was devoid of care it was devoid of purpose right human beings were just cogs in the wheels of the machinery of of what was happening This world was devoid of of love or of any higher power that cared about what was going on in the lives of the people. When God shares God's name with Moses, he presents another worldview altogether, a world where the people matter to God, right? A a way of understanding religion and spirituality where, where there's purpose for humanity, where god isn't distant and uncaring but is involved in the affairs of humanity. And we gather in the church today as followers of Jesus and celebrate that god took one more step. Right? God sent Jesus to walk on the board with us. So that we'd understand that while god made the board, god also Desires that relationship with us. These names of God are, in some ways, an invitation to how we think about worship, how we think about that relationship. God runs a relationship with you, and I, I think sometimes we're like, where do, where do we begin that relationship? We can begin in just naming the names of God and, and recognizing what those names contain for us, the invitation. Right? We don't have to barter and trade for God's favor as we do for the world's favor. We don't have to barter and trade and make sacrifices for to find purpose in the world as it is. Right? Humans once thought they had to make sacrifices to earn, to earn God's love. We sometimes still live in that way. But the names of God, they, re- they, they teach us that Right? That God is bigger than all that. God doesn't need anything that we can offer. So now, when we make gifts to God, we're not trying to barter with God. We're not trying to earn God's favor. We offer our gifts. We offer ourselves because it's a way of of injecting gratitude for all that God has created. It's a way of living into the purpose that God has for us, accepting that invitation to relationship. So, this is an invitation for this week for us. An invitation to step deeper into your relationship, into your relationship with God. And to let the names of God guide you deeper into that relationship with God, with Jesus. You see, when you're this week, when you're facing obstacles that you're like, I can't do this by myself. Remember in the names of God that we, we believe in a God who's, who's bigger than any power, any obstacle. And when we can't do it by ourselves, God is willing to come alongside of us and do the heavy lifting in our lives. Or in this week ahead, when you're overwhelmed or maybe feeling alone, remember that in, in the names that God shares with us, God wants us to know that God is with us. When the grief seems overwhelming, when the struggles seem all too real, God's names remind us that God hears our cries. God is with us. And when you're making decisions in each and every moment of each and every day, or particularly the big ones, and you're you're not sure which direction to go. May you remember in the, in the names of God, we're reminded that, that God has shown us a way. And that way is a way of gratitude and care and love. People will sometimes ask, like, what name should I use for God when I pray? Do I use... God or, or God Almighty or, or Jesus or Holy Spirit or Yahweh? How, how do I pray? And the answer is any of them. Right? God isn't concerned with the semantics of the name that you use. God invites you to connect to God through the meaning of those names. So when you need, when you need a breath of life, pray to the Holy Spirit. When you need a power in your life, when you need to be reminded of the power of resurrection, pray to God, God Almighty, pray to Yahweh. When you need a friend, when you need to know that God is with you, pray to Jesus. May our relationships with God deepen each and every day. Amen.